Have you ever looked at someone and thought when you saw them, that person really, that person really knows God? You ever had that experience? You look at someone and you think, that, that person knows God. What was that like? If you've had that experience, what was that like? How, how did it make you feel? And if you've not had that experience, that's, that's okay. Um, I wasn't looking for that experience when I met Martin. I, I, and yet there was something about him. Martin wasn't sophisticated. He wasn't especially clever or charismatic. But you could see that he was somebody who knew God. And uh, that was so fascinating to me. It was especially true when Martin prayed. Uh, praying with Martin, the best way I could describe it is like standing near a waterfall. You have that strange combination of attraction and wonder and terror. Like when you stand at the edge of Niagara Falls and, and there's something about it that draws you towards it and you know that this is a force of nature that is powerful and awesome. Donald Miller wrote, sometimes you just have to watch someone love something before you can love it yourself. It's as if they're showing you the way. Now in Ephesians chapter three, Paul shows us how God's love overflows in prayer. He's showing us not only how God's love overflows in prayer, but he's showing us how to love God in prayer. And, and before I start to try to talk about this prayer, I want to confess this prayer is expansive and untidy. Uh, for example, Paul describes knowing a love that's beyond knowledge. He, in another place, he describes that we would be filled with fullness. Uh, so I, at one level, I'm going to try to talk about it, but I feel a little bit more like a docent in a museum, kind of walking around and saying, notice this and notice this. And isn't this great than being able to explain it? Because I don't think this is a prayer that it can be explained. I think it's a prayer that we have to experience together. So, so I want to try to help us experience it this morning. The first thing I want us to notice about this prayer is in verse 14, where he says, For this reason I kneel before, I bow my knees, or I kneel before the Father, from whom every uh, family in heaven and earth takes his name. I want us to notice the posture of the prayer. He says, for this reason, I'm kneeling before the Father. Now, this isn't particularly shocking to us, but it should be. Because in the ancient world, kneeling was not the typical posture that people took to pray. In the ancient world, in the world that Paul is writing to and from, people stood to pray. So, for example, consider the prayer life of Jesus. When Jesus spent all night praying before selecting the 12 men who would be his apostles, there's no, there's no uh, note in the text that tells us, but, but we can infer from the culture that Jesus likely stood for the night as he prayed before the Father. 
he most likely stood. When Jesus was at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, and he prayed that the, to the Father, before, and as he wept and as he prayed to the Father, and before he called Lazarus out, he was standing. The only time that the Gospels tell us that Jesus knelt to pray was in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his death. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus' death, Jesus was so emotionally agitated that his sweat became was like drops of blood. So that's when he knelt to pray. So when Paul tells us he's kneeling in prayer, think no big deal. We kneel to pray, or at least we perhaps in a culture where kneeling to pray is not such a big deal. But to, uh, to, so to us, it's kind of normal, but it's not true for Paul. And so in order to understand what Paul's getting at, we need to do a little bit of cross-cultural uh, translation. Uh, now, here's an example of cross-cultural translation, uh, you know, modern example, kind of personal example of cross-cultural translation. Uh, a couple of months ago, my mother-in-law, who's Filipina, came to our home with 10 pounds, like a cart full, 10 pounds of breakfast cereal. Now, I know there are some Filipinos in the room, and so for you, I don't have to say another word. You completely understand, right? And your heart is warmed, and you're, and you're, strained, you're moved by that. Now, for the rest of us, let me, let me kind of do some cross-cultural uh, uh, translation. Uh, food is the language of love in the Philippines, it is the, as it is in many Asian cultures. And so if my, if my mother, growing up, if my mother wanted to communicate love to me, she would, she'd say nice words and she'd pat my head as I walked by. That's how my mother would communicate love to me. But if, if I'm engaging with my mother-in-law, uh, my mother-in-law communicates love by saying, which is, did you eat? And here's the thing, it doesn't matter what you say. Because the very next words out of her mouth will be kaina, which is come eat, come eat, come eat something, right? So what is, so the other thing that you need to know to make this story make sense is that I am the only person in my home who eats breakfast cereal. So what did it mean when my mother-in-law showed up with, ten, with a cart and 10 pounds of breakfast cereal? It was her saying, I love you. I love you, my crazy white son-in-law who eats all this crazy stuff. I am committed to you. I will go out of my way to provide food for you. That's how much I care. What is Paul saying when he says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father? Kneeling for Paul, it's a posture of desperation. What he's saying is he is physically, relationally, and emotionally fully committed. He is leaving, no he's holding nothing back. That's what his posture means. You know, some, some church traditions, we might say he was on his face in prayer, right? He was, he's, he's holding nothing back. He's completely engaged, fully committed, and totally vulnerable. Which makes me wonder, 
What gets your full emotional commitment? When do you hold nothing back? When are you fully present, fully engaged, fully vulnerable? What desire, what, what, what person, place, thing, or interest will, will motivate you and drive you to give up everything and hold nothing back? You know, I was thinking about if we asked God that question. If you ask Jesus, what, what, what motivates you to hold nothing back, to give, you, to give yourself freely and fully with, with no conditions and, and, and just fully, uh, full vulnerability, hold nothing back? God would say, you. God says, you're worth it. Can you imagine? Jesus looks at you and he says, you are worth my everything. So the next time you pray, as you pray, I want you to imagine Jesus with his arms stretched wide, holding nothing back, stretching his own flesh between heaven and earth to reconcile earth and heaven. And as you pray, then just Take whatever internal and external posture best helps you to respond to that kind of hold nothing back love and commitment. That's Jesus' posture towards us. That's God's posture to us. And when we pray, I love, I love the person who led us in prayer says she cries easily oh, I love, and has a soft heart. I love that. When, when we're invited, as we're invited to pray, we're invited to bring all of ourselves to God, knowing that God has already brought all of himself to us. Now, that's the posture of the prayer. Let's talk about what Paul prays for. Let's move from posture to petition. What's the content of this prayer? And, and the prayer kind of expresses one idea, uh, but it expresses it in this dense image-rich kind of poetry. And that what, what, it, what it does is that the images and the poetry sort of help us to contemplate, help us to enter into the mystery and the, the depth of the truth. Uh, for example, uh, I love my daughters. And when they were little, uh, I could say, you know, hey, Papa loves you. I did say that all the time, kind of reflexively. But more often, especially in that sort of magical time between bath and bed. When they were little, I would hold them on my knees in the living room, and I would quote the great uh, lyricist, children's lyricist, Eminem. And I would bounce them up and down on my knees, and I would say, we all we got in this world, when it spins, when it whirls, when it twirls, two little beautiful girls. And we'd, you know, and the poetry gives this idea wings, doesn't it? And, and Paul prays for two things. He prays for God to strengthen them in their inner being with power to know the unknowable, unfathomable depth of his love. And he prays that their community would become a place where others would know that love too. 
Have you ever prayed to know more or to sense more of God's love? I, I have. Uh, and it's worth asking in moments like that. Like, why don't we already feel more of God's love? And I think this particular prayer sort of assumes an answer. It's not that God is crossing his arms, holding back, refusing to give us more love. It's that the church, or that you or I, are maybe not strong enough to hold it. Maybe not strong enough to receive it. That's why Paul, in verse 16, prays that they be strengthened in their inner being, in their inner man or inner being, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't often think about needing to be strong to receive love, do we? Because we, we tend to think of receiving love as simply a passive thing, something that we could just do weekly. And yet, uh, I wonder if that's because we underestimate the power of love. We underestimate the power of God's love. Um, I was thinking about this and trying to think, how do, we, how, how do you create an image that kind of gets at this? So this is my best attempt. Imagine a box strong enough and big enough to hold the sun. Any engineers present? Uh, right? For a box to hold the sun it would have to be enormous and indestructible, right? Uh, a nuclear, here's a point of contrast, a nuclear power plant in the US uh, is encased in concrete walls that are three feet to five feet thick. I'm doing this, like that's three to five feet. No, it, I mean, it, we're talking about concrete walls. That's just for a nuclear power point with fission reactions in the US. The sun is so much more powerful than a nuclear reactor, right? Now, stay with me. I know, I know this is complex uh, and abstract, but imagine the strength it has to take to hold, even for a moment, the creator of galaxies. John tells us God is love. To hold the love of God is to hold God. And when Paul prays that we would be, that the church would be strengthened in its inner being by the power of the Spirit, he's praying for this, the inner strength to hold the love of God. The same love that flung stars into space, the same love that holds the cosmos together. He's saying, uh, he's praying that the Spirit would empower us to hold that same love. Sometimes I wonder if our imagination is, is so small. We, we speak casually of having Jesus in our hearts. When we do that, what do we imagine? Is it so small a thing to hold the author of life in our being? How do we not burn up from the inside? That God would send his love into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit is amazing. 
that God would come to us and reveal his love to us and fill us and flood us as individuals and as a church with his love is amazing. In Acts chapter 2, the image uh, that came was of tongues of fire resting on the disciples of Jesus and, and resting on them and filling them and overflowing from them. And it's this picture that is, is meant to be the, not just the birth of the church, but a, a symbol of, of how God is at work in the church. And I wonder sometimes if we need to relearn what it means to quake in the presence of a God of holy love. God really is that loving. God really is that powerful. God really is that interested in pouring out his love and presence upon you and upon me. And Paul prays, Paul describes this love of Christ as surpassing knowledge. And then he prays that they would know it. That they would know the surpassing, they would know a love that surpasses knowledge. How do you even know a love that surpasses knowledge? Here, the closest thing I can approximate is what happened to me when my daughters were born. As I cradled these tiny human beings in my arms, I experienced all at once, I know this doesn't happen to, to everybody, but it happened for me. I experienced all at once this sort of overwhelming commitment to them. I mean, the love was so strong, it felt hard for me to breathe. You know, the moment before, I was this, this dutiful husband doing my best, you know, to stay focused and do the right thing. And now, moments later, I would do anything at any cost simply for the love of these girls. Now, some of that experience, as you know, is pheromonal, and that's okay. The point is that the capacity to love, our capacity to love, can expand rapidly, can expand beyond our capacity to understand it rationally, to explain it rationally. We can know a love that is bigger than our ability to understand. And it seems to me that that's exactly what Paul wants for the church. He wants us to experience with God what I experienced with my, when I held my daughters for the first time. He wants them to have a life altering experience of the love of God that changes everything. Have you had a life-altering experience of God's love that changes everything? Do we want that? Do we have the strength for it? This is a prayer I believe God longs to answer. What difference would it make if we prayed it? What difference would, we, would it make if we prayed it unreservedly, without qualifications, without holding ourselves back out of fear of disappointment or hurt? When we experience the overwhelming love of God, it changes us, doesn't it? We experience the overwhelming love of God. It transforms us. I love the words uh, 
I love the words of Tom Skinner. He spoke in 1970 at uh, the Urbana Missions Convention uh, in his message, Racism and World Evangelization. This is what Tom Skinner said. He said, it has always been the will of God to saturate the common clay of a man's humanity or a woman's humanity and then send that man or woman an open display in the midst of a hostile world to bear witness to the fact that it is possible for the invisible God to make himself visible in a man, in a woman. And Tom's words, I think, are true. They're still true. And yet I think they're incomplete. Because Paul isn't praying for individuals. He's praying for the church. He's praying for the church to be the place where the invisible God becomes visible. Every instance of the word you in this passage is umes in Greek, humes in Greek, which is the plural form. It's like, it's like y'all, right? So when Paul says, uh, you know, I, I pray that y'all would know this love, right? Uh, and then in uh, verse 18, uh, Paul, when Paul prays that, that they would comprehend together with all the faithful, together with all the saints, that's like, that's like him saying use guys in New Jerseyan, right? I'm praying that all use guys would know this, this love. Can we imagine praying for the church to be the place where the invisible God becomes visible? Imagine that. Imagine praying on our faces before God. Desperate for an answer. Do we need to imagine the need for it? What scandals? Rack our church? Schisms? Social issues? They all undermine the church's credibility. There is a major reckoning happening all across Christian churches in North America. In every denomination, in every part and many people, especially young people who, who my heart breaks for, have left the church or are leaving the church. And we need God to draw near. We need God to strengthen us with the power of his Holy Spirit so that we would know and others would know, especially young people would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. I am concerned for our church in North America. We have the best communication tools. We have the most sophisticated cultural research. We have the most material wealth. But as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, if we have all of this plus spiritual power to perform miracles and we don't have love, we have nothing. We're a noisy gong clanging symbol. We need God. What would it be like if people pointed to Community Bible Church and said, that church knows God? What would it be like if God pointed to your family and said, that family knows God? Go to our community and says, this community knows God. I don't know 
I don't know why, I don't know how, I'm not even sure which God, I just know that they know God. Oh God, we need you. We need God. God is our only hope. And that's where the final section of the prayer goes. This final section of the prayer is praise. You see, we cannot force ourselves into God's love by an act of our will. You can't will yourself to love, can you? Although, although love is an active will, we can, get in, we can talk about that, but our hope isn't in our will. Our hope is in God who can do far more than we can ask or imagine. This prayer doesn't lead us to strive for, to, to whoop something up, to work something up in our own emotional life, our own spiritual life, our own mental life. This prayer is a pra- it drives us to, to rest in the goodness and the love and the power of God. That's why it says... Uh, now to him who is able to work within us exceedingly and is able to accomplish exceedingly abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the, in the church um, and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. As we respond to the love of God in prayer, as we long for God to make us a place that we can hold the love of God, we look to God to do that work in us. And we look to God who is able to do that work in us, who wants to do that work in us, who is willing to do that work in us. Will we ask him? Will we seek it? Let's get really practical for a minute. This week, I would invite you to find a new posture to pray in. What physical posture signifies for you a whole, unreserved commitment to being present? I know one friend I, uh, one friend I, I knew used to started praying, looking up with his arms stretched out like this. This was, to him, uh, was, was a posture that he just adopted in prayer because it, it, it felt that kind of unreserved for me. I've, I've prayed face down on the floor uh, many times. My, my wife, Sophia, she's taken to the, the practice of getting out of bed. And before she stands on her feet, she, gets, she lands both knees on the, uh, 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 puts her knees on the floor and is, is going knees first so that she can be reminded physically that I, I desperately need God today. But what posture for you it's not about the posture. It's about, it's about what it signals to you. It signals unreserved, unrestrained, not holding anything back, present to God. Would you pick a posture like that and pray in it uh, this week? And it doesn't have to be long. But just be present. Come back to it. And as you pray, remember that Jesus held nothing back from you. So you don't have to hold back from him. And if that's a struggle for you, if you struggle to pray and you're like, you're like most of us who struggle to pray, I, I want you to look at me. God loves you exactly as you are. Pray to get God to love you more. God loves you exactly as you are. 
would you just uh, sim simply spend a little bit of time this week getting to know the love of God? Just spend a little bit of time this week looking at the face of Jesus and you're imagining the face of Jesus, imagining the posture of Jesus, focusing on the love of Jesus and letting Jesus love you. One of the most profound moments that's ever happened in, in my prayer life is when somebody said, I know you can do all these things. I know you can read the Bible well. I know you can, you can talk well. Can you simply sit in a chair and allow God to love you? And if you're struggling to pray and that's hard, maybe that's all you need to do this week is simply sit in a chair and let God love you. As a church, why not pray with Paul? Let's pray for Community Bible Church. Let's pray that God would strengthen this community with power by the Holy Spirit. That Paul, that, 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 that this community would know the unknowable, unfathomable love of God and that it, this community would be a meeting place between God and people. That, that as other people go, come to this church, as other people ex interact with the people of this church, they would point to this church, they would say this People, these people, this church knows God. As I reflect on this prayer, I keep thinking about my friend Martin. What did Martin have that made him so different? He had God. Martin had a life with God that you could sense from across the room. He expressed that life with God in simple acts of love and compassion towards other people. It was Martin's life with God that made me want to know him. It was Martin's life with God that made me inspired to know, that inspired me to want to know God. It was Martin who taught me how to live life with God. Sometimes you just have to watch someone love something before you can love it yourself. It's as if they're showing you the way.